0: Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson.
1: The Lord of armies will bless them saying, Egypt, my people, Assyria, my handiwork, and Israel, my inheritance, are blessed. Wow, that is amazing. There are a billion Muslims in the world, and I think what this is telling us is that there's gonna come a time When the eyes of these Muslims are going to be open
0: to the true God. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study through the books of the Old Testament prophets. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Isaiah chapters 13 through 23. Now here's Pastor Brian.
1: A southeastern part of Egypt and the northeastern part of what we know today as Sudan. And so northern Sudan would be probably more the area that's being referred to here. And notice the description of the people. They're smooth-skinned and they're tall. Um, The Sudanese are tall. And they have very smooth skin still to this day. And so I think that if we want to identify the place geographically, that's uh, the area that we're talking about here. Now, in the prophecy of Ezekiel, where it talks about the different nations that are going to be aligned together and they're going to come against Israel, Persia is in there. And interestingly, Ethiopia is in there as well. And that would be Sudan. But an interesting thing that's happening in northern Sudan right now, northern Sudan has been uh, under Islamic rule for centuries. And a pretty hard Islamic rule. And yet, as of the past couple of years, there's been a revolution that's taken place. And they've pretty much removed the hard core Islamic government and they basically want to have more of a secular government. They want to just have a government where they can you know, build their lives. People can be religious, but they don't have to be religious. And if you want to be a, a Christian or a Jew or something else, you're not going to be persecuted for it. And I was talking with a, a friend from uh, Sudan the other day, and he was telling me that it's really amazing what has happened there in recent times. And, you know, they've even said, like, we don't want to be against Israel. We don't want to be all caught up in this Islamic worldview. We, we, we want to just live our lives and do our best to enjoy ourselves while we can. So the, the interesting things happening in the whole area of the Middle East today. And so, you know, it, this is the way it is when it comes to, the Middle East. And this is what we who believe in Bible prophecy have to be aware of and therefore careful about. We have to be aware that things change all the time there. And the mistake that sometimes Christians make is you know, something happens. And then immediately we say, oh, well, that's this. This is a fulfillment right here in the Bible. It says this, and and look at that's happening right there. That's what that's about. But then a few years later, it's completely different. It all changed. So then you're back to the drawing board going, wait, what is, wait a second. I thought that was going to be this. So, So it's wiser, I think, to recognize that absolutely there's Bible prophecy and some things we can know a fair amount of detail about because God gives it to us. But other things, we just, we don't know. We don't know exactly how all of this is going to roll out. I mean, at one time, we were absolutely convinced that Gog and Magog, Russia, and Russia was gonna attack Israel and all of that because of the Soviet Union. We knew that, we preached that, and then the Soviet Union, it melted down, went out of existence, but then in its place, all these Islamic countries came back into a position of prominence. Islam was on the decline. In the early part of the 20th century, there were predictions that Islam would, would just cease to be a religion. It, would, it was going to just die. But it didn't. It, it revived. And suddenly, people were thinking, oh, wait a second. Wait, we thought it was the Russians. Maybe it's the, these Islamic nations, this confederation here. And we thought the Antichrist was going to come out of Europe. Oh, maybe he's going to be a Muslim. So these are the things that people uh, you know, start to speculate about because they've been speculating about other things. And so all of that to say we need to be careful not to try to get more specific than God has and to recognize there are gaps in our knowledge And so things that are clear, we can go with it. It's clear that in the end of time, God's gonna bring Israel back to the land. And I personally would hold to this position myself, that the only clear prophecy that's been fulfilled regarding Israel is that one right there, that they have been brought back to the land. Everything else is, I think, up for debate. But that one I think it's absolutely certain. That has happened. But Ezekiel said they would come back to the land, but they would be there without a spirit. Because remember, he gave the picture of that valley of dry bones. And the dry bones were gonna come together and form a body. And the body was going to have the sinew and the muscle and and the skin and everything. But then it's gonna be lying there breathless. And my opinion is that's Israel today. They're breathless. They're without the the spirit of God. And everything's waiting for that to happen. But that will happen in the future. So enough of that. But back in 18, once again, just in verse 7, it's a short chapter here. But verse 7, at that time, a gift will be brought to the Lord of armies, from a people tall and smooth skinned a people feared far and near a powerful nation with a strange language whose land is divided by the rivers to Mount Zion to the place of the name of the Lord of armies. So this people is going to come and worship the Lord. But now we come to chapter 19. And chapter 19 is even more fascinating Because chapter 19 is a pronouncement of judgment against Egypt. And we're not going to go into all of the details of the judgment here. Um, So the first part, most of it has already happened in Egyptian history. But there's still future things. And so let's pick up in verse 16. And this is so fascinating here. Here. It says this, on that day, so this this day in the future, Egypt will be like a woman and will tremble with fear because of the threatening hand of the Lord of armies when he raises it against them. The land of Judah will terrify Egypt. Whenever Judah is mentioned, Egypt will tremble because of what the Lord of armies has planned against it. On that day, five cities in the land of Egypt will speak the language of Canaan and swear loyalty to the Lord of armies, one of the cities will be called the city of the sun. So there's coming a day when God's gonna bring a judgment on Egypt and the end result is that Egypt is going to worship the Lord. They're gonna speak the language of Canaan. You know, the Egyptians speak Arabic today. That's not the ancient Egyptian language. That language doesn't exist. But they speak Arabic, and that's the influence of Islam on them. But the passage here says they're going to speak the language of Canaan. What was the language of Canaan? It was Hebrew. So the Egyptians are going to speak Hebrew in the future. That's pretty fascinating. But look at this, verse 19. On that day, there will be an altar to the Lord in the center of the land of Egypt and a pillar to the Lord near her border. It will be a sign and a witness to the Lord of armies in the land of Egypt. When they cry out to the Lord because of their oppressors, he will send them a savior and leader, and he will rescue them. Wow. So this, again, we don't know for sure, but this seems to be referring to Egypt coming under the dominion of the Antichrist but Jesus coming as their deliverer and delivering them from that oppression. And then it says in verse 21, The Lord will make himself known to Egypt, and Egypt will know the Lord on that day. Isn't that amazing? The Egyptians are going to know the Lord. I mean, let's think back to Egypt. This is the place where the Israelites were in captivity. This is where Pharaoh was. This is where Moses came. This is where, you know, Egypt was destroyed by the the, the judgment of God. The Passover took place. They crossed the Red Sea. And now Egypt will know the Lord on that day. They will offer sacrifices and offerings. They will make vows to the Lord and fulfill them. The Lord will strike Egypt, striking and healing. Then they will turn to the Lord and he will be receptive to their prayers and heal them. Wow. Amazing. But now, this is even more amazing. Look at verse 23. On that day, there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria. Assyria will go to Egypt, Egypt to Assyria, and Egypt will worship with Assyria. On that day, Israel will form a triple alliance with Egypt and Assyria a blessing within the land, the Lord of armies will bless them saying, Egypt, my people, Assyria, my handiwork, and Israel, my inheritance are blessed. Wow, that is amazing. I mean, that is so astounding when you think of it. But think of this. There are a billion Muslims in the world. And I think what this is telling us is that there's going to come a time when the eyes of these Muslims are going to be open to the true God. Because these are Islamic countries, right? I mean, Assyria is Iraq. And Egypt is Egypt but if you if you think about these multitudes of muslims who have a a false religion but if you've ever read the quran or if you've ever you know studied islam you realize that they they took so much from the scriptures and just added their own ideas and myths and so forth to it but you know there's there's enough in there To even to this day where people reading the Koran will come to faith sometimes because of looking at what it says about Jesus. But think about it, when they're under the oppression of the Antichrist, it just seems like this would be the time when their eyes are opened to the true God. And so they then become the people of God. But this passage has always absolutely fascinated me. And not me only, but many, many people. So Egypt, Assyria, my handiwork, Israel, my inheritance. And there's gonna be like a a highway. Hey, let's go worship the Lord in Assyria. All right, let's get on the road. Let's head over to Assyria to worship the Lord. Now we're gonna go to Egypt. We're gonna worship the Lord there. Well, we're gonna go to Israel. And there's this, they're all united in the worship of the Lord. That's the future. That's awesome. So chapter 20, this again now is going back. In the year that the chief commander sent by King Sargon of Assyria came to Ashdod and attacked and captured it. During that time, the Lord had spoken through Isaiah, son of Amos, saying, here's a funny uh, prophecy or a funny direction from the Lord. Go take off your sackcloth and remove the sandals from your feet And he did that, going stripped and barefoot. The Lord said, as my servant Isaiah has gone stripped and barefoot three years as a sign and an omen against Egypt and Cush, so the king of Assyria will be led captive to Egypt, uh, lead the captives of Egypt and the exiles of Cush, young and old alike, stripped and barefoot with bare buttocks, to Egypt's shame, Those who made Cush their hope and Egypt their boast will be dismayed and dismayed, uh, dismayed and uh, ashamed. And the inhabitants of this coast land will say on that day, Look, this is what happened to those who relied on and fled for help to rescue from the king of Assyria. Now, how will we escape? So Isaiah is given this order by God to walk around with his buttocks (laughs) revealed (laughs) and barefoot. (laughs) And it's a prophecy. Today we were talking about, with our pastor staff, we were talking about today, you know, as we move into the ministry of the Spirit, and, you know, there there can be some weird things that happen. But one of them will not be people with a bare buttocks, (laughs) barefooted prophesying, so... We're, we're sure that that is not what God has planned for us. So chapter 21, uh, we're back to a judgment again upon Babylon. And so we'll just uh, move past that. 11, verse 11, a pronouncement concerning Duma. Uh, Duma seems to be Edom. So... Um, another name for Edom. Seir was part of Edom. So one calls to me from Seir. And then watchman, what is left of the night? Watchman, what is left of the night? The watchman says, morning has come and also night. Every time I read this passage, it's really, I, I always think about this because there was a very famous man back in the 1800s who was a scholar and he wrote some great books. His name is Alfred Edersheim. And he wrote a great, great book called The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah. Probably one of the greatest volumes ever on the life of Jesus from the standpoint of, from a Jewish understanding. He was an Orthodox Jew as a, as a boy, but then came to faith, became a scholar, was a scholar at Oxford University. And uh, anyway, he wrote, wrote this great book fantastic book. He wrote a number of books, and I've always loved his books. But in the the cover page to uh, The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah, this is the verse that he has in there. And in the King James, it reads, Watchman, what of the night? Watchman, what of the night? And then it says, The morning comes, and also the night. And he put it in there because he saw in it the prophecy of the future for Israel back at the time that the watchman called out, the morning is coming. That would be the birth of the Messiah, but also the night. And that would be the long history of Israel uh, in their exile from God. So every time I read this verse, I just, I think of that uh, there in that great volume by Edersheim. So chapter 22 well, there's a pronouncement against Arabia that is mentioned here. And the the Arabia here, Saudi Arabia is a little bit of a different place, but it's in the, in the same area. This is more in the northern part. But anyway, there's a prophecy here against that northern region of Arabia. And then we come to the 22nd chapter. And the 22nd chapter is dealing again with Jerusalem. So it's speaking of judgment that's going to come upon Jerusalem. One thing to note, just if you want to highlight it, I have it highlighted. Uh, Verse 13, but look, joy and gladness, butchering of cattle, slaughtering of sheep and goats, eating of meat and drinking of wine. Let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. You might remember that Paul quotes that in his letter to the Corinthians there in verse 13. But then uh, down in verse 15, we have this, um, this person named Shebna. And so the Lord God of armies said, go to Shebna, the steward who is in charge of the palace and say to him, I'm not gonna read all of it. It just get down to verse 19. Say to him, basically, uh, you are disgraced to the house of your Lord and I will remove you from your office. You will be ousted from your position. So this is a a person who was in the position of being like the prime minister at the time. Now, the problem is that Shebna appears at this time in different contexts, and he always appears in a favorable light, even though there's not much detail. He's the one that goes out when Sennacherib comes and, and all of this. So there's a big kind of a confusion among Bible scholars about, is this the same Shebna? Is it a different person? How do we understand this? Was he at one time, you know, serving God, but then he became lifted up with pride? Who knows? <laughs> we don't really know. But um, just thought I would mention it, even though there really isn't an answer to it. It could very well be the same person. But here's the passage that we want to just look at really quickly. Verse 20, on that day, so Shebna is going to be removed. On that day, I will call for my servant Eliakim, son of Hilkiah. I will clothe him with your robe, he's speaking to Shebna, and tie your sash around him. I will hand your authority over to him, and he will be like a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. So Shebna is going to be removed, and Eliakim is going to take the place of the prime minister, and listen to this though, verse 22. I will place the key of the house of David on his shoulder. What he opens, no one can close, and what he closes, no one can open. Does that sound familiar to you? Jesus said this in his word to um, the church in Revelation. I think it's uh, Philadelphia. That I have the key of David I open, no one can close. I close and no one can open. So what, So that's obviously a reference back to this passage right here where God is giving authority to Eliakim. And so Jesus, of course, would be the ultimate. He has ultimate authority because he is the king uh, over the house of David. So, and then it just goes on to speak about Eliakim and he's gonna be a blessing for a certain point of time, but then that's gonna pass and then uh, things are gonna become difficult again for Jerusalem. And then chapter 23 is a prophecy regarding Tyre. Now, Tyre, remember in the gospels, we hear about Tyre and Sidon. Uh, We hear about Phoenicia, Lebanon, Lebanon. Today is that area. And Tyre was a great city, a coastal city, but it was also an island off the coast. And uh, the Phoenicians were famous for, uh, they were seafarers and they were famous for trading on the seas and for shipbuilding and all of those kinds of things. It's the king of Tyre, remember what I said earlier that the Ezekiel 28 passage prophesies against and then goes into the power behind the king of Tyre. And so this 23rd chapter is a pronouncement against Tyre. And there's some things that, we, that nobody really knows. Uh, there's verse 17 talks about a 70 year period. Nobody really knows what happened at that time. But uh, Tyre was finally conquered by, well, by Alexander the Great and then by um, the Romans as well. So we go from there and when we come now to the next chapters, we're coming, we're, we're looking at judgment, but now the next chapters are looking at universal judgment and not speaking specifically of these nations, but speaking about a judgment that's going to come upon the whole world. So, but there's also some wonderful promises of salvation in the midst of that too. So, That's where we will pick up, chapter 24.
0: For the month of July, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled, Is Jesus History by Dr. John Dixon? Living in an age of science and empirical evidence, How can people still believe in miracles? How can someone believe that Jesus actually rose from the dead? The resurrection of Jesus is essential for the Christian faith. If Jesus never rose from the dead, then an offer for eternal life does not carry any authority. So, is there any historical evidence that can be examined to test the authenticity of such a claim? Dr. John Dixon addresses this very question and examines the ancient evidence as a trained historian. He explains the evidence simply and clearly, so you'll be able to consider the evidence for yourself. If you've ever wondered if there's any historical evidence for the existence of Jesus and his resurrection, then you need to get this month's resource from Back to Basics. The book is Jesus History by Dr. John Dixon is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443. as we study together in the book of Isaiah. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.